Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Ms. Brooke Deneau. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Vincent, and hello to all of you listeners. Ooh, ooh, you changed it up a little bit. I, I just got goosebumps. That oh, was. did I? <laughs> yeah, you was said that... hi to the listeners. We don't talk about them. <laughs> well now they, we do they just come here and pay us to listen <laughs> <laughs> oh that no that's that's wow i'm i like it I, like I, I have a very important question to ask you vincent yes because we we closed out last week's podcast with a little challenge mm -hmm. and that i participated in as well but but you you are going to meditate for five minutes mm -hmm. every day and just mm -hmm. we're going to just check back mm-hmm and see how it went as someone who claims that they cannot meditate, you dislike it, uh -huh. and so on. So how'd it go? Well, I did not miss a single day. Really? Good job. I'll, I'll have you know, I did not do it Monday after we recorded, but I did it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and yesterday. Okay. And no matter how late I was going off to bed, no matter how tired I was, I, I still religiously did that five minutes every single night okay and what's your review of it do you love it or and we haven't talked about this at all no we haven't we've we've purposely not talked about it but <laughs> i will just say this i'm dying to just, know i'm dying I'm gonna to know. say i am pleasantly surprised by how enjoyable it was oh really you liked it okay i did and here's why and i think this is what's different from the times i tried in the past so in the in the past I had used like three or four different apps. I had used like recordings that people had posted. I kept trying to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, you know what? I just have to do this in a way that I think is going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I went on Spotify and I loaded up the peaceful meditation playlist, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a curated <laughs> playlist that they do. You know, they have a bunch of them. Like they have peaceful piano, they have a chill hop one, and they have this peaceful meditation one. I'm like, I always can meditate better with just ambient music. Doesn't have yeah, to be I, specific. I do the same. Yes. Yeah, so I figured I this is gonna help me focus if I can just listen to some music that's not gonna have lyrics, it's not gonna distract me. It's just gonna be a thing that's on in the background and I can go with it. So that's what I did. And God's honest truth. I can see myself continuing to do this. I did make the entire week. So. Really? And did you did you like learn? Did you did you feel yourself getting better at it? Because because the, the idea of meditation, right, is that you're not thinking about anything, which as we talked about last week is kind of impossible. It's more about mm -hmm. it's more about getting awareness for your patterns and your thoughts and things like that and being able to bring them back. Yes. Did you find that you got it was easier to do? I did. And <laughs> so what I did, okay, so I'm just going to put it out there. I didn't feel some crazy transcendental thing. I didn't feel like an out of body experience, but I'll, I will say this. <laughs> I could tell when I was in the zone because yeah. I can feel myself. I don't want to say seeing the music because that sounds really crunchy and hippie type stuff, <laughs> but you know, depending on the music, depending on the pace of the music and the style of the music, like it's all very ambient. So you're not really, it's not, there's not like a melody or anything, but I can feel there was this weird, like flying through like colors sensation <laughs> that I felt every single night. And I knew when I stopped feeling that, that I wasn't focusing the right yeah. way. 
and I would try to rein it back to get back to the the tunnel of colors. See, see, Vincent, this is exactly what I hoped for from you because yeah. you, it's ironic that I've meditated before and you hadn't because you are so much crunchier than me. <laughs> oh, I'm way crunchier <laughs> than you. <laughs> so, so I I love that you were like, oh, colorful tunnels. Yeah, you, so because actually, full disclosure to the listeners, you you did tell me that one. I was like, "How's it going?" And you were like, "Colorful tunnels or something." <laughs> like, what? What are it's you like, talking? Did you like, smoke anything before you did this? Like, what's going on? But you know what? let's just save this conversation for Monday. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I, I you know I I did tell Bill also because since it was his idea, I did tell Bill that it was like, "Hey, you know what? This was this was really great." Yeah. So um, yeah, it's. Absolutely fantastic. Also, just um, I'm going to ask you in one second, but I just speaking of Bill, I just wanted to before I forget the the latest episode of the Subtle Art of Not Yelling, which is Bill's podcast, which we talked about last week. Really need to listen to it because it's all about imposter syndrome, and imposter syndrome has come up about 40 million times on this podcast, and they have a very good take on it. And I really enjoyed it, so definitely yep. check it out, especially. Look, he he got me to start meditating. If Bill can get me to start meditating, he's worth listening to. Anyway, Brooke, yeah. since I did it and I am the worst at meditation ever, how yeah. did your how did so, it go for you? I didn't have as perfect a track record as you did. Full disclosure, I got okay. most I got most days, but I think there was a couple days where I was really tired and I was going to fall asleep. I I actually I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know what it was this, this week, but I always, I started giggling and laughing, which (laughs) is very me. I don't know if that's just me, but like, yeah, it was good. I I enjoyed it. And I think, I think I'm like, I think I've practiced that type of like mindset before. So I didn't have that hard of a time getting into the pattern of it again, but I've never had the experience of just laughing, which was Mm. weird. I don't know. Maybe it's because you're just letting loose. Like that's what's coming out of you. (laughs) Tension breakers. I know. I I just, I nervous giggle too. So like Mm -hmm. I just, it's my default is I just giggle at stuff. So you and me both. I don't know. You and me both. Yeah, I did it. I did my challenge too. Excellent. Well, you stuck to it. I stuck to it. Are you going to keep sticking to it? Are you going to keep going with it? Maybe I will. We'll see. Okay. Is that, by the way, is that your thing of the week from? Yes, it is. It it is. They haven't had it at my store, by the way. I just want to point it out. The space is empty on the shelf. By the way, when Pat Lapp was a guest, I Mm -hmm. had this. I always have a beverage of some sort as Mm -hmm. we're recording. And when Pat Lapp was the guest, I had this as my beverage. And before we were recording, as a joke, I was like, ew, I have coconut water. (laughs) And I just want to go on the record that since that episode, I've almost always have this. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, people have asked me when I'm going to tell people what I think because they know it's from Trader Joe's and they know it's me, you know, the crunchy guy. So uh-huh. I haven't had it yet, just <laughs> oh, for the record. The crunchy um, guy takes takes on coconut water. <laughs> so one of the one of the coolest parts about making um, for people like us is that we always hope, that, I mean, at least if you're into making a product, is that you're going to make a product that is just completely, completely iconic to a certain time frame, to a group of people, to something where everyone, you don't have to explain what something is, something you can just put out there, say the name of it, and all of a sudden everybody like has warm, fuzzy feelings because they either know what it is, they have you know great connotations with it, they have a memory tied to it or something or other. And we happen to have a guest that invented something that to say it's a cultural phenomenon is ridiculous. 
I didn't even realize how long this thing has been in the public consciousness, but our guest actually invented something that has been important to kids and older kids (laughs) for 25 years. And our guest this week is inventor Dan Klitzner, who is better known to the normal layperson as the inventor of the Boppet. Dan, welcome aboard. (laughs) Welcome. It's an honor to have you. Oh, hold on just a second here. Just Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just in case you didn't know that that I just that's all I do every day. I just play Bop It waiting for people to call me. (laughs) I was actually gonna ask you. Do you actually like have one at hand? Do you just sit there like, is that because we were just talking about meditation and I imagine you sitting there in like the full lotus pose with your eyes closed, just playing a bop it? Ooh. Well, no, but uh, do you know that bop it, would you believe it if I told you that bop it was originally invented to help with meditation? No. Are you joking? <laughs> That's gotta be, come on, you got to be joking. I, I, asked okay. would, I asked if you'd believe it. <laughs> oh well i mean yeah i'll believe anything just give me just give me the explanation and then i'll decide i'll decide if you're lying it, it, it wasn't but i've actually <laughs> thought about it uh because i've heard that's one of the things that i think was sort of a surprise about it and that i've heard from many anecdotes of people who go into sort of a trance and have a, have actually equated it to sort of meditation when they get going and they get that look in their eye and they you know nobody talked to me and they actually enjoy that space where they have nothing to do but follow exactly those instructions and it and I've actually thought about it I thought when you guys were talking about meditation I said you know I got to get back to that Zen Bopet idea I've had for a while which is how to make I think people's minds go off in another state. You know, you see Mm -hmm. it in video games, you'll see it in a lot of different things. But early on, that was something that really struck me about Bop. It was the trance-like quality people Mm. got and why I think they enjoyed, you know, that rush of playing it. But also it kind of meant you could think of nothing else but it. And and that's what meditation kind of is. It's it's clearing the mind, but in some ways it's also focusing the mind. And so, yes, I, 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 I didn't invent it for that reason, but I, but I've thought about it a lot. I remember in the late 90s, it's funny you say that people can zone out and play it. I remember very specifically in the late 90s, and I believe it was either 60 Minutes or 2020, because I was old at heart, and I used to watch those shows with my parents. And they did a study where they hooked brain monitors up to people in grocery stores, just to see what happens to their mind. And the the one thing that they wanted to figure out is how people walk around a grocery store and don't bump into each other. And it turns out your mind, just a different part of your brain is activated in the grocery store as you're walking up and down aisles and you're not actively paying attention to what's going on in front of you or around you, but your brain is aware of everyone and you can maneuver around people you don't even see because that part of your brain kicks in. I wonder if that's the thing of like when we say we're zoning out in focusing on something i wonder if it's just that part of our brain is doing the work instead of you know our conscience our conscious doing the work 
I, so. it could be. I, I guess we'll have to play Bop It in a grocery store to find out that answer. Maybe, maybe we'll have to see. <laughs> I think I'm getting maybe, crunchier as I maybe, get older. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, Vincent, maybe that will have to be next week's challenge. Be like, did you do your, did you do your Bop It grocery store meditation? Uh, you know, I tried very hard. I really wanted to have an original Bop It in hand before we recorded. I was going to do the same and I could not find one. Not an original one. Like they're going... I got to say, they're going for quite a bit on eBay these days, which is really funny to me. It's like yeah. something that was commoditized almost. It's just like, oh, no, it costs money now. Well, <laughs> the old ones, like this one here that I played the sound from, um, mm-hmm. is, you know, it weighs about twice what one of them would weigh today. You know, it was not cost reduced. And uh, so the big heavy ones, especially the Bop at Extreme, you know, they're, they really feel good and they sound good. You know, they've got bigger speakers in them. And of course, mm-hmm. they cost $20 25 years ago. So you can figure out how how is it possible they still cost the same or less today. And yeah. a lot of it's just the cost reduction of materials. Everything gets thinner, smaller speakers, you know, cheaper this, cheaper that. So people complain they'll get a new one and they say, this isn't the bop it i remember and so then they go on ebay and they're 240 dollars, and they say hmm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like that was 20 dollars when i yeah. was a kid what is going on with this yeah no but Cultural it, it is phenomenon it is why this one feels so good it's it's just got that you know heavy weight to it that you don't find in toys so it's more like a product with quality than a lot of the stuff you have today yeah so, so go ahead brooke so let's let's backpedal. So how did you get started being a toy maker? And what does that career path look like? Because I think a lot of people when they're kids, if you ask, you know, six year olds, like, what do you want to be when, when they grow up? They might be like, oh, I want to be an astronaut or, you know, a paleontologist or like an inventor. What does that actually look like in an adult grown up sense? That's a career. For you, anyway. Yeah. Well, I have this theory that people kind of know what they want to do when they're about eight years old. My my age goes up from six to eight, and I've I've asked a lot of people, you know, when I find them, especially people in design, um, mm-hmm. where you know, when did you know? I'm I eventually became an industrial designer, and I, I am an industrial designer, and that, but that took me a while to figure out what that was, and I think that's something that seems to be in common with a lot of people in design because maybe you grow up without really thinking that you can be or maybe today more than when i grew up uh it's more of an option that's more obvious you know there was no apple computer uh cool looking products that were so mass market you know that was sort of coming in late 80s 90s whereas i just didn't know what it was i i love drawing i love making things you know i made Mm -hmm. It was very whether it was ceramics or uh, just building a go kart out of wood or you know treehouse whatever I was a I was a maker and a drawer and I didn't know I just assumed that would be a hobby even though I was pretty young but as I went into you know what do you want to do with your life went into engineering um, and hated it because <laughs> I really wanted to, I was more of a concept person. And I liked drawing the idea for something. I didn't really want to do the hard math to make it. I really <laughs> wanted to just do the thing. And so uh, it took me a while. I went two years at engineering school at UC Davis. And 
luckily my my dad actually found a catalog for art center college of design in pasadena and that's the first time i knew what industrial design even was when i opened that catalog and saw all these you know blenders and toasters and i don't know you know hubcaps and <laughs> stuff, <laughs> stuff that industrial designers designed and i didn't know what it was i said what is that it's industrial design I go, oh that makes sense and i knew immediately i i that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to do that kind of stuff. I don't want to be an artist. I don't want to be a painter. I don't want to be a ceramicist. I want to, I want to build things like that or design things like that, that are functional and mass, you know, I don't know, mass produced, but sort of functional ergonomic things. I was very, very attracted to that. And that kind of explains, well, so you, you do all this, you come to this conclusion and Obviously, as soon as you start realizing this is what you want to do, my guess would be that your first thing is to start designing products, like even if they're just like concept ideas and kind of coming up with ideas. And what are what were your first couple of designs like? What were you designing to get your to kind of hone your skills a little bit? And what did they look like and that kind of stuff? Well, and and the most fun people usually have in design is in school when you know the the projects are cloud nine kind of things where you can design crazy stuff there were you know a lot of the a lot of the art center in particular really emphasized the presentation skills you know i became very good at drawing and rendering and making things like you know you'd have a project where you design a robot and you could make it look as cool as you wanted and it was to kind of practice the idea of how to visualize something uh you know, long before we had easy CAD <laughs> to yeah. work with, yep. you know, this is just hand sketching uh, and, and learning to build models. So I built models. I know for this show specifically, it's, it's, unless you're, you know, someone who, who grew up with the type of uh, lack, lack of, uh, let's see, at that school, I think at the time there were no computers, there was a thing called a lucigraph machine. What a lucigraph machine is, it's a thing, this is the highest tech we had. You could put something on it that was one size and have a rear projection increase the size so you could trace it at a larger size. That's what <laughs> oh, a is that what that thing is that's called? That's what a lucigraph okay. machine is. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I do know what our, that is. That was our highest tech thing when I was in school, besides wow. model, model making, which um, we had to take a lot of classes in model making. And so I built, I, I had was looking around for a couple things I happen to have like surfboard foam. Here's, you know, I, I started out not, not, I'll get back to your question specifically, but I think the arc to <laughs> it is about, you know, what did I design? And originally uh, I was freelancing coming out of school. I actually did design robots for a while for a, for a movie company. Um, oh, wow. there's, there's a weird movie called ice pirates from many years ago. If you look it up, I did other, the robots in that. And that those were, you know, fun, fun, cheesy looking things that, um, that didn't have to be real. You know, they didn't have to actually work compared to products that we make and have to function. So I started to freelance and get different types of jobs doing illustration for architects. Uh, I just kind of took whatever work I could. And, uh, one of the things I fell into was designing bottles for sort of corporate identity type companies. So I ended up designing, um, this Clorox bottle. Yes. This one, which I got this, <laughs> loose, this loose site award, 1993. 
the under the sink under the toilet toilet bowl uh toilet bowl cleanser so that was that was you know go ahead I found a picture of you holding that up, and I'm like, "See, this is what I'm talking about." Like when you find the guy who, in, like that 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 angled neck, that's your uh, that's your invention. Well, it was, you know, I think there were other things. It, you know, I, it's hard to trace back any invention to mm-hmm. the first ever of this or that. I think it was just how I applied it to that brand and that <laughs> particular function. But uh, this was sort of, you know, one of the foam models for it, which are surfboard foam. Uh, no CAD or anything, just cutting something out of, you know, a dimensional drawing, cutting it out and then using, uh, you know, jigsaw, uh, bandsaw, tables, or whatever. uh, Short foam plane. Sanders and foam, yeah, and just just carving it. And and so I love that part about sculpting things. Like I said, I was, I really liked the way things feel in your hand. I was always very, very much into that type of design. I didn't, necessarily like graphic design or architecture which was more about big spaces or flat design and so i really gravitated towards three-dimensional handheld things which sort of foreshadows how did bop it come to be it's mm-hmm. kind of a perfect cross between an industrial designer and a game you know it, it really right. is the most ergonomic thing and it and looking back that's sort of no accident you know it was really what i was attracted to was how to make things more three-dimensional it's it's kind of crazy when you see how low tech design was back then like you know see you know i remember i remember i used to watch a lot of shows like about like there was a show called in the united states it was beyond 2000 and in the uk they had another they had a show called tomorrow's world which was basically the same show um but they always used to show the car models that went in the wind tunnel and they were always carved out of like pottery clay. And somebody would sit there and carve these perfect models and then put them in the smoke tunnel to see how the aerodynamics looked. And I'm just like, you know, that was so cool back then. But now I think, wow, is that primitive? Cause like you could get really good simulation data now, just running it on a computer screen with a 3d model. It's just, it's amazing that anything got done. (laughs) That was one of the classes uh, you take in the product design program I was in is I did do, uh, you had to design a car out of clay. So Mm -hmm. you learn, it's not just the design, it's just that's a whole technique of how to make that clay. It's a specific type of clay. You you actually, they made you build your own tools before you could use them on the clay model. So, you know, I I built these, these clay working tools as sort of the first semester, then you get to finally use them and uh, do actually we did a bottle, then you work your way up to a, to other things and finally a car. And it was really amazing. I just wasn't that into cars either, to be honest. I really was focused on smaller <laughs> products, but uh, some of the guys that I was with in school went on to be pretty well-known designers and they really still swear by that technique because there's you know, you can do it all in CAD, and I know, uh, of course, we all use that, but it it really is different than feeling something with your hands when you're building it, and I just think that's that's what clay lets you do, is you can add to it, you can subtract, you know, you can really, really look at it from different angles in real time, so it's still, I think it's still used by a lot of car designers. So I have a question, because I'm mm-hmm. in, I work with digital tools all day, every day, so where I'm coming from, I do everything in CAD and then you can have it printing or carving within the day sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on what I'm doing. What does the process look like to go from a clay model to like like the Clorox bottle that you showed 
-hmm. you have your carved Clorox bottle to getting that in plastic from like a factory somewhere. How does that work? Or how did that work? You know, I'm going to admit that it was a bit mysterious to me. I just designed huh. the stuff and gave it to someone. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <And> they built <laughs> it. <laughs> so it was, you know, because like I said, I didn't really like engineering. I really wanted to just design nice looking ergonomic things. And so I guess I was just personally focused on how to make, um, how to take it into, I mean, I would do dimensional drawings of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just, and I did do 3D modeling programs way back uh, before they were translating those files directly to 3D, like they were more animation style programs to kind of help visualize, okay. but they weren't linked in the way things are today with, you know, how to go directly to 3D modeling, which by the way, for the last several years, that's, we do lots and lots of 3D printing and you know, I'm, I don't want to give the picture that I'm still carving things out of clay. I'm just saying oh. that was my that was my <laughs> early beginning. And I really I think it was essential for me because I love putting my hands on stuff and and really feeling it. Yeah. As you're describing it, I can totally picture the shape of a boppet and everything that you're saying makes sense with the product that you designed. So it's interesting to hear about because it's so different than I think it is now. And I also appreciate that it's mysterious to you too. <laughs> You're just carving something and shipping it off. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it shows you the power of having a vision for something and the ability to visualize. And I really stress this a lot for people who say they want to invent things and they talk about what kind of prototype do I need and how should I do this? And it's the answer is it just totally depends on what you're pitching and who you're pitching it to and what they expect. And, you know, there's so many answers. So you have to really go backwards a little to who, what is the product? Who, who is it that you're trying to convince to do it? Or are you going to try to make it yourself or, you know, all those, all those things, there's just more questions. So, um, but it, but it really is like, I think I was telling you before we, we got on that I'm, I'm looking for my foam core model of Bop It, which I can't find <laughs> at the moment. Um, it looked like it looked, if you've seen the picture, I found this is, it was based on this, that weird hammer looking thing there. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. And that was, um, uh, it was a concept that started out. I was designing very slick remote controls for a company called Memorex who used to do mostly tape and then they went into electronics. So I had them as a client designing very sleek, um, universal remotes and, you know, futuristic looking stuff, nothing at all like this. And I just thought at the same time I had some, I was starting to pitch toy ideas to toy companies. And so I thought, well, what about a remote that is for kids that's a lot more ergonomic and fun and makes you active? And so it came up with this idea of this channel bopper where you bopped it on a table to change <laughs> channels. So you change it channel up. See if you can, you look on the, see it has a plus on one side and a minus on the other. So plus yeah. was channel up and minus was channel down. And so I imagine kids having a great time changing channels by with this rubber ball that changed channels for them as they smacked it on the table. And then to make it more, more physical. Um, and this is in comparison to remote controls with just buttons on them that you use your thumbs for. So this yeah. was, well, what's the most physical way to turn it on and off? And that's what the pull, pulling, pulling the bottom of this turned on and off the TV. And 
there this this sketch doesn't have it but there was a twist knob to translate volume into a twisting motion rather than just a arrows up and down starting so, to see the connection here i am this is so, like this is like watching a cinematic piece unfold uh-huh Hear, hearing you describe this uh-huh I'm, yeah i'm trying to give it visual for you know since people aren't seeing this but you i i think that concept is just how my mind was working was how to make each of those things the opposite of what a remote control does when you use your thumbs, which is just little buttons. So I wanted to make it a very physical, fun experience for kids. It didn't, I pitched it as a foam core. Uh, I took this this basic, uh, a drawing like this that I did in Photoshop, put it, uh, sprayed it, you know, printed it out, sprayed it, put it on a piece of foam core, and then put it on a bandsaw and cut out the shape around it, which is a great technique because it looks kind of three-dimensional in the front view. And then I made sure that the I cut it where the twist and the pull and everything works. So it was kind of a semi-demonstratable mock-up of this twist-pull-bop remote. And that's really important just to get it in your hands. You know, that's when people ask that question. I said, well, that was actually a big breakthrough rather than just staring at it or trying to make some really slick model. The first step is just to mock it up by hand for me. Not, uh, I know for, if you're really fast at CAD, probably you're saying, Oh, I'll just do this and have the printer print it. But I really still think there's a phase where you go in and you start cutting things up and hot gluing them together and you get a real feel for what it is. And because your mind changes during that process as you're, building things and i've done this for you know throughout the years i know that if i delegate it to a model maker i miss out on a big part of my process which is these epiphanies that come to you as you're cutting something or building it or do you know something happens that you can't simulate at least for me you know there's a little bit more accidental realizations and so that's sort of what what i think you get and then mainly that i had this thing in my hand and i could sort of bop it around and play it and start to feel it so that's kind of, you know, what the opposite of probably today, I would have just gone straight to CAD and missed the whole thing. So <laughs> it, it, it could be that <laughs> that's, that's why it happened was that I was doing it all by hand. Yeah. So you pitch, so you pitch this channel changer remote mm-hmm. concept and then what? Was it just a no? Was it a yes? Was it a change it was, a couple things and come back? It was all no, uh, channel bopper was you know and i did do another series of remotes that a company did license which were these things called remotes out of control and they were uh, there was a a remote control uh, a couch potato a channel surfer a uh, a football like they were just funny shapes because they were easier to build since they used the same push button you know whatever the 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 board is that they use on universal remotes they were just themed remotes and this company did it but they didn't want to do the hammer i kept trying to convince them this channel bobber is the coolest one and (laughs) i I had (laughs) i i agree completely as you're describing it i think it's a brilliant concept i'm so disappointed in these people yeah i I, I was but it but it but it led to the rest of the story, I'm sure. So, Well, it's the biggest lesson we have, right? Which is <laughs> your rejections are, are usually, for invention, are the things you pay attention to. Because, you know, if you have a gut feel that there's something there, you're probably right. And it's just about finding yeah. the right audience, the right execution. So the uh, 
yeah, the, the, the thing I, I like to credit the fact that I designed a remote control pizza slice. Uh, uh, <gasps> it was called a remote by the slice. And they did do that one. It was like a piece of pizza with a pepperoni slice for the volume and, a, <laughs> and a, you know, like a anchovy. It was just this weird. So I thought it was funny to put a pizza, a slice of pizza on your coffee table and go, hey, that's my, <laughs> that's my remote for my TV. And there's still a Guys, few of them I, out there. I've seen I've seen. I them found a there. picture of it. Did I you? found a yeah. picture as well. Yeah. <gasps> that, that, is, that is responsible for Boppet, I believe, because they uh, he was sort of like, well, maybe the hammer. Uh, I think the pizza's funnier. So the fact is, if they had licensed the hammer, I would have gone, okay, good, and on to the next thing. And what yeah. happened was, because the hammer was still sitting around my the channel bopper, and, and I kept pitching it to other companies, going, come on, this is this really cool remote idea. And, you know, s- s- lots and lots of feedback in those rejections, you know, probably makes your mind at some point, there's this part of your brain that kind of puts things together. Someone did say, maybe it's not a remote, maybe it's something else. And, Mm. you know, it took that and a phone call from another company looking for new handheld um, LCD games, Tiger Electronics, one of these. I was gonna say that had to be Tiger. (laughs) Yeah, And they, and they, I'd done some other products for them and they said, you got any ideas for something? And this little, this foam core model was still sitting on my desk. And I said, maybe this could be a handheld LCD game. But, you know, uh, as you can imagine, putting an LCD in a thing that you bang on the table seemed like a good idea, but it was, (laughs) it just didn't quite work. And eventually it's like, maybe it's, you know, however that process works, where is it like Simon, where you have to memorize these moves. Oh yeah, that's definitely it. And it'll have lights in it and it'll be like a new site. So I went down that path for a while. And this is while I'm doing maybe 50 other things at the same time. Like I had lots and lots of concepts. If you're going to be a professional toy inventor, you have to pitch a lot of stuff to a lot mm-hmm. of companies <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, in lots of different ways. So this was just one of many things and they didn't like it uh, when I pitched it back to them as sort of a handheld game, but it, it, it eventually um, ended up being pitched to Parker Brothers. And luckily the guy who saw it there, and I, I, I pitched it with the foam core hammer with a soundtrack. If you look, uh, you probably can find my original pitch video of me 25 years ago. Um, you'll, it's, it's, it's well posted. Um, and you'll see me pitching this foam core hammer. And if you look up probably Dan Klitzner, original Bop It pitch, something like that. And you'll see that it was just the foam core hammer with a soundtrack and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't just how they bought it. It was just the way to demonstrate what it would look like if it worked. And then I would have them listen to the soundtrack while they played with the foam core hammer. So unlike many products, if you're going to pitch a product that's a super technological, um, you know, some a drone or a thing, or, you know, something that has a performance quality, then you need to invent and prove that it really does do that. But when you're doing things like I've specialized in a lot of things with sound design and music, often you can simulate it by saying, here's the music track, now pretend to play it with this thing. Mm. And, and because Bop It tells you what to do and pretty much you want to do what it tells you, it, you know, it didn't, because people, it didn't feel like, it felt like it was, not, people knew it wasn't working, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like, Oh, I can't tell what this would be like. You could, 
listen to it and play it and kind of understand that you would get confused if it asked you to do these things. So that's why I like to clear it up because a lot of people say, oh, I heard that he just, he, he sold it off of this video with a foam core thing. It's like, well, you could try that for, for almost any product, but I don't think it will work unless it happened to be the exact way to pitch that concept. And that, that having something in hand takes the tactile and brings it to reality and having the music the soundtrack kind of brings in what makes that tactile thing interesting so your brain kind of mashes them together would mash them together naturally i wouldn't i wouldn't think of that until you said that by the way i would think like no this has to make the sound no it doesn't really it doesn't really you can figure it out without it i have a question about that whose voice was on the original soundtrack the original voice this one this one that voice yeah, yeah. Not yeah, the, yeah. Scream. the scream was from a uh from a sound <laughs> file that voice i was gonna say is that the wilhelm scream <laughs> uh i don't oh, i know where we got that that was something it was from a like a, a sound bank a royalty free sound bank or something you know, that was just no way but, but the uh the voice was actually um bob welch who was a industrial designer at parker brothers and he did an amazing job, you know, putting this together once it was with once it was internal there. And I think because there was only three words, because the score was done with sounds and all this stuff, he just went and did it himself because they think they were running out of time or he just wanted to do it, whatever reason. They usually don't do that. Um, they usually later on we got actors and things like that, but it was just his voice. So um, that's Bob's voice. And then later, like Bop at Extreme, the one you, you were talking about with the with the five things on it, the four, mm-hmm. well, the four plus the Bop it, that was a yeah. different a different actor. Then we went kind of big time with with a really uh, professional voice and all that. So yeah. that was that was like a whole upgrade. Yeah, and did you did you arrange the the, the soundtrack? Like, is that music? I like I don't even know what the right language is for it. Did um, you string that together yourself and think of the catchy? beat to it um kind of the original sound i i had different samples of videos of the beat originally that were part of you know here's how it basically bop it twisted pull it with this beat they took it and you know used a studio to sort of make it into it i didn't do the final audio for okay. it um for bop it extreme i did get much more involved in sort of where do we go from here? Uh, the the idea of taking Boppet, and you know they called maybe a year later, and it was like, wow, this is just really taking off. What do we? Where do we go next? And I always had this idea for the extreme version of it, and so adding more stuff, and bigger voice, and funny, and you know, sort of, it's more. My role is really more creative director in that. You know, I'm not the one creating the f- sound files, although I have in later Boppets who've done quite a bit with music but at that time it was really just about a vision and and uh, simulating it same thing <laughs> with the product here's <laughs> here's what it should look like go make it you know yeah. uh, so so I, I succeeded at not becoming an engineer <laughs> <laughs> yes so the bop it comes out in 1996 and it i remember it just appearing in commercials and then suddenly being everywhere very quickly which there was no even, you know, we didn't have the internet so much. I mean, it existed, but, you know, only nerds mm-hmm. like us were on it. But, you know, there wasn't like 
this whole internet culture where something gets viral and goes out really quick, but yet somewhere the bop, it really catches on. So now you've invented something that's clearly got a lot of legs to it. Do you feel any pressure now? Cause I know I've heard this from a lot of people that invent stuff, especially people that I know this wasn't your first rodeo, but it was a very successful one. Do you have, do you have this thing in your back of your mind going, what's my follow-up product going to be now? Because this is a hard act to follow. Do you have that internal pressure going, I need to come up with the next thing now? Uh, I don't know that I felt pressure. I had a lot of ideas. You know, I, I think they were feeling pressure when I talked later to the people internal at Hasbro, Parker Brothers. They were really, you know, they were under a lot of pressure. I don't think I knew enough to feel the pressure. I just, oh, this would be great. And that would be great. And, you know, as you can see behind me, there's 27 different variations on Boppet and that I hate to tell you, it's the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's a lot you can do with Boppet, and I've tried <laughs> many different things. Um, there were there were more, many more ideas shot down than created of what I have of what I would do with Boppet. So when you license something to a company, they become, you know, they they're paying your royalty, but they get to make the decisions of what goes or what doesn't go. So I can I show was... them everything I want, but it doesn't mean they're going to do it. You know. Gotcha. So how does it feel? How does it feel to watch your baby kind of become the property of somebody else? Like it's still obviously it's still yours. It's still your invention, and nobody could take that away from you. But how, like, mm. is there a part of you that kind of is like, oh man, you know, it's like I can't. This is not mine anymore. Or uh, or it? do you totally separate? Because I could see either extreme. I I think it's a really key word, which is relationship with. You know, anyone in business or especially in design, you want to develop, think think about a movie, right? If there's a writer for a movie, they're going to hand over, you know, they may have a certain amount of, of approval or not on what the movie ends up being. Usually not. You know, they buy a script and now they're, that company is investing millions of dollars in something. They need to be the ones making those decisions. They're the ones advertising it. They're hiring the director. You know, the, the screenwriter is not doing that. So I like to equate, that's really what my role is, is I'm kind of like a screenwriter. I'm giving a vision. I'm, you know, they're going to talk to me. Like it's like during the making of the film, you know, while the product's being made, I'm there to sort of make sure they retain the DNA of that vision. But often it's, it actually took quite a few years to develop the right relationship because then people keep changing internally at these companies, you know? So it, it really took a while and some internal champions to make them go, you know, Dan's okay. He's not, he's not as crazy as most inventors and <laughs> he actually makes sense. And so, and then I started to work much more internally with that internal group. And so it's been an amazing relationship, but it took a lot of work and it takes a lot of sensitivity. I think, you know, when I, when I sort of talk about what it takes to sell ideas, I have this little mantra that everything has to be right. R I T E. And the R is actually for relationships because if you don't develop these great relationships, you know, you, it's all about like knowing your audit, knowing who you're pitching it to, what are they looking for and how to get along with them and make sure that you do feel like you're doing it together. There's just a lot of issues that happen with people when they're trying to license ideas where that falls apart. And it doesn't matter how good the idea is and all the other things because they've messed up the relationship. You, one of the things in your bio, um, in your bio that I found the most interesting was that you weren't a one hit wonder. 
And to quote one of the lines from it was, Dan has created and patented over 100 other, uh, quote, annoying toys that parents and kids <laughs> alike have loved and hate, loved to hate for decades. Just curious, besides Bop It, um, what other things might we know you for that well, maybe well, people annoyed their parents with? <laughs> uh, a lot of annoying, you know, because after Bop It, there were a lot of things, you know, I, a lot of companies contacted me about doing other types of games or that I just had more ideas that were spinoffs. The one that's probably most well-known, if you if you know uh, Hyperdash, it was a pretty well-known game. Um, and was it, it actually was something I came up with before Bop It. It was a game that it has these targets that you can set out, these little cones, and it tells you red, and you have to run and tag the red target. <laughs> And green and blue. And it basically, if you think about it, it's kind of like Bop It, only as you can make it as big as your yard. Oh, neat. I, I didn't remember what it was called. So while you were talking, I looked it up and I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, I played that. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it, 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 it was, and that, that led to an entire line of sort of exercise-based games for Wild Planet, the, the company that did that. Um, so there was a there's a bunch of other things in that line, which was really satisfying because I always wanted things that made people more physically active, and that was sort of one of my one of my goals. So that that concept um, was one of the more successful ones. It was probably the best selling game on Amazon when Amazon first started doing toys for three or four years. People don't realize how well that that one sold. And then um, I've also developed a game uh, with a partner called Perplexus, which is this clear sphere with a with a, ma a maze inside a labyrinth and and after talking about you know what gets me excited about design and games this is basically taking the flat uh you know those flat wooden mazes that used to sit on your table with a marble that you know you try to get it through the track and turning it into a three-dimensional experience and this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got to say, as, as I look through everything that you've done, like your designs are genius. These are phenomenal. And, and I, I find it fascinating that you've been able, I mean, obviously like Bop It, you're the most well known for, because it's like everyone knows that name, but these are all home runs. Like every single <laughs> thing I've seen of yours is so good. Yeah. I'm only showing you the good stuff. That's why. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, actually, that's an interesting, that's an interesting direction. Have you ever done anything where you went, you're what like, the hell was I like, thinking? That oh, was trash. <laughs> thousands, thousands of what it was. I think, I mean, you, anyone, you know, the good news is people usually forget about those and you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you want, you need a few hits to survive. Uh, the one that really surprises me how many people have know this one, which I'm most proud of, was the first thing I ever really licensed and created sort of as an idea that I wanted to pitch, which was this sand claw. I don't know. Is there one behind me there? See that yellow thing up there? Uh-huh. Oh, yes. You put I your hand I... in it. Yeah. And it's like a. if you look up, I don't know what it's called now, but it was this idea of an ergonomic, again, with my story something that is very tactile you know how to make digging a, a different experience more like the way a dog digs with with kids so uh, you know the idea of digging with with this claw over your hand and that uh was licensed that was it, it existed for a while with with this one company and and i didn't really know what i was doing in terms of licensing didn't patent it they didn't patent it and it started getting knocked off everywhere and so i didn't receive royalties on it anymore after the first couple of years, but I actually am most proud of it 
because it's lasted now over 30 years and it's still being knocked off everywhere. So I kind of feel like (laughs) it's so it's so simple. The simplicity of it is what is what I think is has made it last so long because it's a very familiar shape as I'm Googling it. Yeah, and it's um, it was a I, from my industrial design background, I knew that blow molding something in this one piece would be kind of softer and feel good on your hand. You know, so I was sort of using uh, when you ask how did I get it from here to there. You know, I built a foam <laughs> model. I kind of, but I, I I knew what process would probably make it the best product and how simple as a one. It didn't need assembly. It was very very easy to make. And so you know whether it could have been a hard patent or not, I'm not sure. It might have, you know, I, I am actually very proud that it became sort of uh, shareware and I see it all over the world. So <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of am most proud of that invention, probably selling more units ultimately than Bop It because it's been longer and it's cheaper mm-hmm. and it's been knocked off everywhere. So, that, so that allow me to set the stage. You're sitting in an airplane next to a stranger and you strike up a conversation and you drop in and I and you're like, what do you do? What do you do? And then you say, I make toys. Then people probably go like, oh, that's cute. And then you like drop in like I invented the bop it. Like, do people believe you? They always believe Ooh. me, which is surprising. I mean, I could just say I invented anyone could say it. Anyone listening yeah. should, should just try it and see what happens. <laughs> then you'll know the reaction that you get because they don't like Google it. You know, they just sort of they no. just believe you. But the first thing they usually ask in a conversation is um, they say, what do you do? And first I'll talk to them for a while. And they go, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm an industrial designer. I specialize in toys, toy invention. And the first thing they ask is, have you seen the movie Big? <laughs> <laughs> which, which I find kind of funny. Like, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, is that all? You know, like it's so that movie seems to have been the, uh, you know, and then they ask, is it just like that? And I say, yes, it is exactly like that movie. And it's not that far off from the truth as much as it's kind of a joke that, that there is a lot in that movie that's uh, more real to a toy inventor experience uh, besides getting turned into a little kid uh, or however that story goes. But the the thing that they finally eventually go, oh, anything I would know. And when I say, I'll name some of the other things just to see if they know them. And then when I say bop it, they, their head usually explodes. Um, if they're between <laughs> like, if they're kind of between twenty-seven to forty-two, like there's a certain age that goes mm-hmm. really crazy. There's other people like now, little kids all know what it is. If for a while yeah. there, it, for about ten years ago, it wasn't little kids. It was usually '90s kids, and they were. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is I know a lot of toy inventors, a lot of my friends who've done really really well they've created you know but they they do like barbie dream houses and you know some Susie, Susie, whatever doll or you know they, they they're really good at a lot of things that that sell a lot but nobody really uh i not to put it down but like i i don't do those kind of games it's more of an industrial design sort of thing that i do but nobody really reacts that way when they say what they did so I've yeah. always been, and I didn't realize that for a while till one of my friends said, you don't know what it's like. You get to say this thing and people all know what it is and they all like it. And, I, and so it really, starting about 10 years ago, I started to realize, wow, that's really special that people remember this particular game it's, so fondly. It's, you know? 
It's really special. And I think it's because a common theme across everything that you've designed is there's like a physicality to it. Yes. Um, that I think, um, that I think just makes it stick so much more. It makes it such a much more core memory in a way, because like we were laughing before we started recording. Like when I think of Bop It, two things come to mind. I said specifically, I remember playing it at sleepovers in the 90s. I'm a 90s kid. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, everyone would have so much fun laughing at it, seeing how high up we could get it. And then everyone tries to go to bed and the Bop It's just making noises in the closet. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like how do we get the Bop It to turn off? Where's the Bop It? And it just brings back the whole memory of just being there because it's beyond a game. It was like a memory with friends. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I also, the other, the other memories, much dorkier, but I remember playing like, ex like Bop It Extreme had a pass it mode. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know who invented this or if you've heard of kids doing this, but I used to do theater. So maybe this was just theater kids being weirdos, but we used to make a circle and someone would get shoved in the middle of the circle with the bop at extreme and have to do it. And then on pass, it would just fling it in the air. And then whoever caught it had to like run to the middle of the dance circle with the bop at extreme. <laughs> but it, that was what we just did for fun as like teenagers. Like I'm embarrassed how old we were doing that, but it was so much fun. And it was so it's beyond a game. It was social. You can tell by the smile on my face that I love hearing stories like that. Just because it's about <laughs> it's about memories and beyond, you know, it it's just doing what it should do. It's well, I like this phrase, animate the person. That's kind of yeah. one of my one yeah. of my special sort of mantras is I think about when you say I, I like doing physical things it, for the tactile nature, because I like like if I go into a store and I'm looking at something, I'm always touching it, you know, and I'm always, mm -hmm. I need to feel it. So I think I'm very much tuned to that. But it's also that other side, which is the physicality of people that when you, and it goes back to that original foam core model, it animated me. And when people mm -hmm. demoed it at the toy company, it wasn't about, well, what do you think? Is that fun to do? It was the people watching the person doing it. Was it fun to watch them do it? Yeah. And it's not, it's not fun to watch someone on their phone with their two thumbs playing a game, right? It's certainly not. <laughs> and so <laughs> this was this, it was very, very intentional. Make a game or a remote control that's fun to watch someone use. So that's when you, and the same with Perplexus, because unlike a game on the table, right, it's a three-dimensional thing that may, you have to kind of move around it while you play it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, I give this tip every time. It's like, if you want to brainstorm on something, make sure you think at least, not, not every product, but many ideas, what happens if you sort of put this filter on that says animate the person, animate the user, not mm -hmm. even if it's not a game, it could be, like I said, a yeah. toaster. I don't know, what, some, whatever you're making, that's just, that's part of why people love certain products is what you're describing yeah. is an experience where it was animating the room. Right. Mm -hmm. You came up with a really cool game, throwing this in the air and people were catching it and they were laughing. So that is, you know, why I was smiling so much is that's my favorite thing is it it gets people to be the entertainment. Yeah. And it, and it's it's that classic. I think it's Maya Angelou. It's like people forget what you said. They forget what you did, but they'll remember how they feel. And I just it's like a toy that I think so many memories I have pertaining to Bop It. It's just feeling silly and laughing and social and being with other people. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. And it, and it is, I could not claim at all that I foresaw this, of course, 
but it is that the DNA was was kind of like with now looking back, it's like, huh, I guess I've always been into this sort of physical um sensation of of a game. Mousetrap, I remember being like my favorite thing, you know, when I was mm-hmm. when you think yeah. about games, building something, making it work, you know, just putting the little pieces together. So it's been very consistent. When I said people will what someone loved at eight, they often uh maybe they don't go into it but if they do do something they're usually pretty happy because they sort of found that spot when they were younger mousetrap is a very interesting example you just picked because we were just talking about how you don't remember somebody sitting there flicking a phone with their thumbs or whatever and as someone who played mousetrap extensively if you ask me how to play the game i couldn't tell you but (laughs) I remember building and setting off or attempting to get it to work the damn trap because (laughs) it was so much fun to make that trap and set it off where it was almost like that was the fun. We would set up the board game, set up the trap and just keep setting it off until we could make it work. And that was the fun part because it was tactile, right? The game, the game was ancillary. No one cares about the game of mousetrap, literally no one, but everyone loved (laughs) building the trap. Like that was the trick, right? It is. It's, it's, it was, uh, I just, I could, you know, thinking of that memory, like I said, how do you feel? I remember the plastic and the, you know, being fascinated with how everything snapped together and the and, steel ball. I remember the yeah. steel ball. <laughs> the little guy, guy doing the backflip off the diving board. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you have parlayed now, um, you've parlayed your success from Bop It into something else that you, that's called Bop It for Good. And why don't you talk a little bit about that and tell sure. our audience what that's about? Um, well, it was just this idea of realizing, oh, my God, it's been 25 years. And, you know, even though it it hasn't been at all the only thing I've created, it really was sort of the foundation that let me keep creating other things to have had success early. And not just because then a lot of companies would approach me, but that I gave me some financial backings because you have to take a lot of risk in trying to invent, you know, new stuff that most of it sits in the closet. So it really was being grateful that, and I was, you know, I was kind of instrumental in keeping it going. So that fact of it was kind of dead in 2005, 2006. And I kind of talked to someone, someone new came back in, actually the guy who originally was, um, who had launched it, the marketing guy at uh, Hasbro, had left and gone to Mattel. And when he was at Mattel, he kept saying, hey, is there any way you can get Bop It over here to Mattel? Because we'd sure, you know, want to do it here. He was always asking if there's some way I could. And I said, I can't. It's not, you know, they're still selling it. So then when he went back to uh, to Hasbro, I said, hey, I've, I've got good news. Uh, it's possible <laughs> for me to get Bop It from uh, Hasbro now because they're not selling it. Oh, but you're not. Bad news is you're not at Mattel anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he got a little like he looked at me with these big eyes like what you know and i said i said he goes i'm calling you tomorrow so it was at a cocktail thing for a toy awards and he literally called me he says tell me again what's going on and i told him he says we're we're going to relaunch this so that's when you saw this version the white the, one the white, yeah that was 2008 so 2000 you know mm-hmm. so that was 10 years later or 12 mm-hmm. years later, right? So if you think, why did it look this way and everything? They wanted, they wanted to do a real relaunch to kind of bring in this new next generation. So there's a lot of people that 10 years later think they were introduced to Bop It and they were, and they don't even know about the, 
cool heavyweight teal and black one. Uh, but that's what's neat about it is it it then had the second generation that grew up doing almost it wasn't quite as you know everywhere but it was pretty popular in that point so it not only has this 90s kid 90s experience it's got a 2008 generation <laughs> and then after that it just sort of everyone started buying it so looking at all that success i said i really feel like um doing something to commemorate this 25th year and give back so my wife and i started this program called, we're called just called bop it for good meaning how can <laughs> i use the notoriety and the fun and the kind of the everything we've been talking about you know the 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 way it connects people how can i do the most good with that and without really knowing all the answers to that and so have come to a uh, a point here where it's now the fall uh, this fall will be kind of the official celebration of Boppet's 25th anniversary. Hasbro's going to be doing some events and things like that, and I'll be talking about uh, about it uh, later. But uh, I'm, all, I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter to launch this first sort of official product for Boppet for Good, which is this Boppet called the Boppet Button. <laughs> basically, just you think about all the crazy things with Boppet. This, this actually started out as being a... Uh, a button that was going to be on the f- cover of this book. I'm, I'm doing a book called Take This Book and Bop It. It's like the whole story about Bop It. And of <laughs> course, great idea. if you see the the word Bop It on the book is a Bop It, and I wanted it to be a working Bop It button. So you could walk up to the book and hit it, you know. Bop it. <laughs> I love it. So, so that's all it was going to be, kind of like the easy button, just a button that you hit that had Bop It sounds. I started to realize, you know, maybe this kind of could be a game, a one-button bop. What would that be like? So it's evolved into a um, this idea that's, again, I'm going to do a Kickstarter starting in about a month to launch this bop it button where it, um, here's one that looks, let's see if you can see it. That one looks like the classic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this one doing it in two styles. This one looks like the white one. Okay. Oh, cool. Everyone oh, likes this one. On. I'm on the... me in front of my so you can just press it <laughs> and do that. Or here, since this is a podcast, you got to hear it. So now I'm going to be, this is a one button bop it for those who can't see it. It says bop it and it says don't bop it. But the trick as you get further into it is the time between don't and bop it can be any length of time. You have to remember that it said don't before it said oh. bop it. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, we're not going to play it long enough to hear how tricky it gets. But trust me, sometimes there's some relatively long pauses where you're like, if you space out at all, you're like, oh, crap. Did it say don't or not? So here's, here's the sample. <laughs> You can, you can hear that there's many different okay, many different ways of saying bop it. So I've taken 25 years of bop it, and I'm I'm putting all the sound files. So this is taking clips from several of the boppets. Score 20. 
So I, so I literally have taken 25 years of Bop It. Can, we, can we just clap? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good, by the way. <laughs> uh, so so it's, it was started out as this one idea, but I just kept saying, God, there's something here about putting 25 years of Bop It into this button. And the idea, as you could hear all those different voices, I took the word Bop It from because it's been recorded in all these different types of boppets differently, or when he says a phrase like, I remember my first time playing boppet, you know, I took the word boppet <laughs> out of all these phrases. So that's why you hear him saying it in all these different ways. But the idea was then to get guest voices. So I did a thing on TikTok where I had people audition for the word boppet and for phrases and for, you know, all, you know, there's lots and lots of audio in this boppet. And it's a combination of things from the past surprise guests my voice might be in there maybe my dad's you know a couple things like that so if you play long enough you unlock all this stuff so it's not oh, wow. a hard bop it's about how long can you play it and what will you unlock and there's a quite a few surprises in it but it's kind of honoring the 25 years and it's um the, you know with this playfulness and this idea that it can include lots of people so it's the long answer to what does this have to do with Bob it for good is that this is this idea that this not only starts to think and connect people that had a lot to do with Bob it, the, the, the original designer, the voice that you asked me about his voice is in here, spoiler alert. <laughs> and, um, but eventually this concept is to, to use this as a way that I can do things with companies like or or let's say the san francisco giants we're in there we're in the i'm in the bay area so they all have community foundations or they do things for the boys and girls clubs or they do a lot of a lot of these different charities where i noticed like there was a ball game where the dodgers actually did a thing where um you know they were saying what's in the box have you ever seen this jack in the box campaign it's like a, mm. a thing where they hide something in a box. It reminds me of your object thing. Uh, the, the weird, and, they, and they get people where the, the audience can see it on the big screen, but you can't see the ball players are feeling it. And they're trying to say, what is, what's in the box? And this one time they did a bop it. And I guess the people who did the thing thought, oh, no one will know what this is. And every single Dodger knew what it was. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, you know, a oh, that's a bop it. I love bop it. And it, it was hilarious. <laughs> it didn't stump anybody. And so I thought, wow, that's really cool that all these famous ball players played it. Uh, same thing with, I've, there's like about 20 hip hop songs about bop it. If you look it up, it's crazy. Yeah. It's <laughs> right? such a, it's, it's such an equalizer because it, 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 it spans I would say like socioeconomic status, it spans personality types. Like I feel like the cool kids played Bop It and the losers played Bop It. Yeah, it, it is, <laughs> it's true. And that, that, this has been a journey for me. And, and as you asked about it, it's like, this is, the more I look into it, the more universal it has, it seems to be. So this was this concept of make a product so that I can eventually appeal to anyone from a celebrity to, um, like I said, baseball teams, people where I want, I want to make these boppets, this the boppet button. So it would be the San Francisco Giants boppet button or Snoop, oh. Snoop Dogg's boppet button. And the concept is if they have a good cause, if they have a community foundation, I'm doing it without charge from me or royalty. And I'm getting Hasbro 
to donate as well. Like the idea that how to empower people to get this product for the cheapest price possible that mm-hmm. I can help facilitate manufacture and get it done. So I'm, I'm actually, for the first time, I'm actually making a product. This is not, I've never made a product. I've always licensed them. This one is the one that I'm actually making relative <laughs> oh, to. Oh, cool. So, after, um, after, after, after all these years. years yeah. And so <laughs> this one is being made and that's the whole model is that if you can get, um, you know, judging by the reaction of all the fans at a game and all the players, I'm saying, well, sports teams could go on forever where you do maybe a limited number you know, of these okay. for special. So they would just sell them directly through their marketing. So I'm not trying to market and do all that stuff. Really, This one I am, this is going to be a Kickstarter, but once it's popularized, it's the idea of you can replace voices with the mm-hmm. celebrities. You can put in your favorite ball player. You can do this, whatever, and I'll help the people do that. So Bop It For Good is about kind of using the fun connectivity, the universal idea and my abilities to sort of empower this or, or, or facilitate it to do the most good with them raising money for their causes, you know, rather than me finding a cause and trying to figure all that out. I'd rather not spend time with that. I'd rather just make fun products that can help <laughs> other people. So that's, that's basically what it's turned into. And I'm really excited about it because um, as you kind of saw with this product, it's there's something super quirky and weird about about pushing just <laughs> a button, but that it can un, the unlocking thing. It's I spent literally the last six months putting in ways. You know what does it release at what point and when do you hear this sound and maybe you only hear this one once and you have to play it again to hear it. Like there's just a lot of tricks you can do with sound design. Mm-hmm. So that's what's in store. You have to get to uh, it's, you have to get a hundred moves for every year Bop it's been out. So at twenty five hundred you beat it and you'll get a special message that I will Ooh. not reveal. You uh, just won the bop it. <laughs> and it will tell <laughs> you something. Concept. But the concept, but the point is it actually can go to a yeah. million. No way. So the product will break before it gets to a million, most likely, because I don't think they rate switches like this. Past. I was just going to say the, but <laughs> the switches just won't last that long. So, so, so we don't know. It's kind of like you look, that's why I say you'll you'll beat it at twenty five hundred, but that'll take about an hour if you play it straight for an hour and without you know. So if you but if you want to keep going, who you know, we'll see. What how high can someone go before it either breaks or something happens? You but, know, someone in South Korea is going to have a YouTube video of them <laughs> doing it, right? Oh yeah, with the DDR videos, it was the same thing. Like the <laughs> J- Japanese kids and the South Korean kids were amazing at DDR. It's going to be this all over again. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's not a hard game. It doesn't speed up. It it is really just a marathon endurance. It isn't. It's about paying attention and just going. As it's totally possible if the game lasts. So I expect some extremely high scores, but um. You know, or someone will probably figure out a way to wire it up so that it does last to a million or or they'll design a robot to do it. I don't know. But it's it just seems like <laughs> it will be interesting to watch. <laughs> so you're donating through your website um, at BopItForGood.com. You're donating 100% of the profits from the website for the things that you sell there to um, different charities like the Boys and Girls Club and so on. So that's pretty awesome also. We're doing that. It's not, you know, we're not selling a lot of stuff at the moment, It, you know, being because I haven't really advertised it. But for for shirts, I've designed some shirts and hats and things. And all of that, um, you know, our goal is to just help. uh, Specifically, um, there's communicate uh, the communities of um, 
autism and also kids that are blind have also been extremely passionate about mm-hmm. Poppet. It is yeah. connected. Um, this has been another thing over the last 25 years is if you're blind and you're trying to play games with your friends, think about Mousetrap, as we just talked about, or a yeah. video mm-hmm. game or Fortnite or, you know, there's nothing they they can't. They just can't. And so I've heard like Bop It was the one cool game that they could play with kids and they made friends that have been become lifelong friends because they could play a game with them when they were little. And that, that makes so much sense right? now that you're saying that because it wouldn't impact it even in the slightest. It, they usually are better. You know, yeah. they're usually yeah. better. And, and it's so I've had a lot of contact from people that are blind. So that's part of uh, we're looking and have donated to your different groups. Or I just do a thing where it says, if you buy a bop and I'm giving one to this group that helps through Boys that's and Girls great. Club, helps kids that are blind. Just if you're if you're blind and you can't afford a bop it, my goal is to get you a bop it. You know, cause it'll, <laughs> it'll, hit you. It, it'll make you friends so like that. The point is more valuable than anything are friends. And that's what's that's somehow it just happened that way. Yeah, that's got to hit you right in the gut when you hear someone say like your toy brought me help me make friends and help me, you know, or, you know, a kid that maybe felt lonely otherwise, like the bop it, you know, brought them and their friends together. Like that's got to hit you right in the feels. It's everything. It does. I honestly got very emotional when I first started talking to my wife about it. And she's like, what's going on? It's like, I just can't. I never hit me before. One, it was probably more emotional that I never even thought about it, that how valuable yeah. that would be that someone could make friends through games. And yet I'm all about games. And then it, it hit me that I was actually the one who kind of created this game. It, it was almost second. I didn't really care that I was the one that did it. I, I cared that this, <laughs> this was a new concept for me. So then it was like, well, mm. I can help with that. I, it, I will do this thing where um, we'll give away, you know, that that's easy. Uh, then that's, there's an autism uh, foundation we're, we're giving to, to help. We made a bop at sensory station for them because they also, that community, almost more stories or as many as I've heard from families that have someone who's blind is they say that often kids who have autism, even severe autism, they'll still be able to play a bop at the repetition, the patterns. Yeah you know, and, and that those families can play the most important thing they can play with them. So they have a thing they can enjoy and laugh together with. So those are just huge, huge Huge. things. I don't really need to do much more, you know, and in a way I was like, I just could be busy helping make sure that happens. But, um, sort of to get the bigger picture, what I, you know, this concept that the bop it button can be this platform that's separate from the boppets I do with Hasbro, right? It's those. It's intentionally not a real boppet, as you'd say. It doesn't have the twist and the pull. It's not competing against the other mm-hmm. things. It's just about the audio that's in it, unlocking these sounds and getting, you know, these different, um, yeah, these different other people to sort of leverage it to do good with. I think that's that's the whole point. It, it's so fantastic to hear. You know, you you make something that's really cool that you're really happy with, and then. It just develops this this whole, I don't know, like a, um, a people ecosystem around it where, you know, you have all these unexpected nice side effects of it, like kids are using it to make friends and mm-hmm. people are having memories about it and it's a cultural icon and you know, it's just, it's one of those things that you, you, you did the thing yeah. that every <laughs> inventor 
dreams of doing. You have entered the cultural lexicon, like <laughs> yeah. like Kool Aid Man. Like you came crashing through the wall, and here, you know, here's the bop it. Go away, peasants. <laughs> well, it's, it's. I think. I guess what I'd like to, what it occurred to me is use use the same inventiveness that you would to make a product to invent a way for it to do good. You know, it's yeah. The, yeah. the cleverness of it wasn't like, yeah, you can make money and give it to someone. But I think to me, I was trying to really crack this idea of what it, what is the what's possible because of this. And my place as is is a spokesman for it, but also just the ability to sort of push it to this idea of really getting to unify or bringing people together which is like you said, what games do, but this idea mm-hmm. of getting all these voices in it, there's just that that concept that there isn't another thing that has this ability to really get 50 people in a game and have it mm. make sense. And once their voices are in it, they'll be imp- they'll be the ones that's, that they're kind of behind, like really amplifying. The invention to me is amplifying this product to really appeal and reach out to, like you said, all these different demographics. So that's, I'm so excited for the next year. That's really what I'm doing. It's only, I mean, it's amazing that it's had this kind of longevity and it's only going to pick up. It's going to, there's going to be another wave now. Everyone's going to know the button. <laughs> well, and there is a new Bop It, uh, Bop it Extreme coming out this fall that's being announced. It's, it's, you know, because it's been about seven, eight years since the last time that was available. So you won't have to spend $248 on eBay. Yeah. Cause, cause <laughs> when, when, when I found out that you're going to be on the podcast, the first thing I did was I was like, where's the bop it couldn't find it. And I went to buy one and you can't find them. Yeah, you can't, you can't. I really wanted to open the show by playing with it just while I'm talking, just have, not, <laughs> like it's not in the room. Just, just, just have the sound in the background Yeah, or, or opt out of the typical intro music and just start it right with that. That's a bop it. <laughs> And everyone will just know. You can dub that. You can always dub that in before you broadcast. You could. <laughs> but we could. Uh, I will send you one. But no, that's. I think you guys are getting it. It's. It takes a while. It's taken a while for me to kind of, you know, understand. Wait, if I do this, then this, then this, then this, and all these things have sort of become starting to snowball. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that that. Uh, yeah, how to? Do, I don't know anything that compares to it in terms of an opportunity you say how great that you invent something and this happens it's usually though um you know like the model for tom's shoes or newman's own or mm-hmm. like you're, you're something where you're giving money to something i think what's really cool about this is you're you're actually doing it so people people that it helps the most will will be able to play and interact with it or be part of it um, right so so hopefully that'll work that's a, it's a fantastic story and it's Honestly, it's one of the more interesting stories of, you know, invention and entering the pop culture and having it grow into something that's kind of like just bigger than the original item itself. It's it's, you know, and also the longevity of multiple models coming out and it just keeps being reborn. And it's like, nope, it's still relevant. It's just different. (laughs) And it's still relevant. It's just different. It's still relevant. And I I can't imagine it like going away because it's it's still fun. You know, there's... It, it doesn't, it's, it's tried, it evolves a little bit. Uh, but the biggest thing is when you, people start buying it for their kids, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's now that nineties kids are 30 somethings, 40 somethings. Mm-hmm. That's exactly now, you know, when a product really hits its stride, if you think about, uh, 
you know, Monopoly and all the games that Hasbro has and Clue and who, guess who? There, there's a lot of games people will sort of go through and they, they count on people buying them for the next generation because they're like, I love this when I was a kid, so I'll buy it for right. my kid. So it yeah. will definitely annoy kids for many generations. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it'll be it'll be shouting in in sleepover closets. Believe me, this game. If you get to twenty, if you have to play this an hour straight, this button, <laughs> yeah, you better not be around someone you you know you love because they will not love you after you play this hour. <laughs> I just want you to know, I'm totally buying one of these when the Kickstarter goes. I am. <laughs> Vincent, I am so Vincent. excited about this, Vincent. We'll have to we'll have to f- see who who makes it the fur- furthest on our first try. My guess it'll probably be you. I don't know. I'll sit there and meditate with it. <laughs> As I'm meditating, I will be I'll be hitting the bop it. You're gonna, we'll, 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 let, we'll let the listeners know, and we'll let you know, Dan, too. I, I, I would <laughs> like you, you should just do a podcast where all you do you say nothing. You just hit the button. <laughs> And just make people listen to you play it for, you know, 35 minutes and see if that works. This is an idea I, that might work. <laughs> I, have, I have a question I've been dying to ask Dan throughout this whole podcast, but it's somewhat of a stupid question. And you've been saying so much good stuff that I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be that person. But how how high have you gotten on Bop It? Like, what's your high score as the creator yourself? That, you know, this it's not a stupid question. It's a tip. It is a, it is a common question, and I of course never seem to answer things very directly. So I do pose this as my as my question to the question, which is, if someone invented a piano, would you think they would be the best at playing? It? No, no. Right. Probably not. Probably not. Right. <laughs> not creators, the creators of things often aren't. Yeah, you know, they they have a vision. It's, they might have skill. I'm, I'm. Okay, like I can hit the high score on every bop it only because they were designed for normal people with normal skills like me to get a high, to beat it. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that say, well, why doesn't it go higher? There's a couple games, the bop it, if you ever played bop it Tetris or bop it Smash, that weren't really bop it games originally, or they're totally different. In fact, when you ask how many other inventions I've done, the only kind of weird thing about bop it is because i licensed those to parker brothers they were things that had nothing to do with bop it that eventually were kind of bopified so they were in in their own right they were really good electronic games that with another company mm-hmm. would would have had their own brand so but on the other hand they now go become part of the bop it family so as a bop it goes those had no high like you can't beat them they just keep going up and up and up um, so there are continually high scores, which I am not even close on those. You know, like <laughs> I, so I could give you numbers, but like they, there's kids that just get amazing at those games. They just memorize the patterns. And um, so, but on Bop It, you know, the, the, the high score was 100 on the original one, which most people can get after, you know, failing a while. Now I can get that. It seemed like it used to be harder for me. So I am getting better. I can get to 100 on a, on a Bop It That's almost good. every time. Then the extreme went to 250. Then we raised it to 350. So I've beaten every Boppet. The only thing is, usually with a Boppet, it gets boring if it doesn't keep speeding up. And so mm. you need change. One of the keys to Boppet was was that every eight moves, you know, it was really took some design. And over the years, as we tried to fiddle with that, if you try to just go higher, like uh, <laughs> there are some boppets out there that look like the original that aren't, that had a new chip in them and they go to 200 instead of 100, but they don't, someone did it without telling me 
like an engineer or some of the company, they said, oh, we, we have more room. Now we'll, you know, they did it. And after a hundred, it's the most boring thing you've ever done. It doesn't speed up at all. It just stays exactly where it is. Uh. And it's really interesting. You don't feel that thrill and excitement. Mm. So yeah, the intensity doesn't increase. It's uh, just a yeah. flat from that point on. And the reason is because audio, you, you can't understand it if it gets too fast. So the reason they don't go higher was, well, it's, it just gets to be more about, can I, I can't really hear what they're saying. <laughs> they're saying it so fast. So that's why for an audio-based game, you can't actually get often for this type of game that high. However, so why then with this bop it button, am I saying you can go to a million? It doesn't speed up at all. It just keeps changing rhythms. It, so you need change. And so there's over those 2,500 moves, especially you're going to encounter a bunch of funny phrases, a bunch of different sounds, a bunch of that. Like it's it's always something new is happening. So it isn't necessarily about um, for the game design having to speed up, but something has to change to make you feel like you're going up a level. You've got you know if you're in a video game, you imagine oh this one's got you know ducks instead of killer pigs or whatever it is. <laughs> you know you, even if the game mechanic is about the same, people are expecting something some new challenge that happens right and the challenge this one is the rhythm is the breaking of rhythm yeah where you get that's 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 incredibly difficult because rhythm is a very hard thing to overcome it, it does especially when you think you know what rhythm it's trying to do and it changes mm -hmm. which is which is what this game will do there's a couple times where it will pretend to go it will literally start snoring and and you think it's asleep <laughs> until it you you and then about, you know, 20 seconds later, all of a sudden it says, bop it. So <laughs> it, it's very... Better be paying attention. I really am curious if people are going to hate it, if they're going to, you know, not get why it's, you know, maybe it's going to go over some people's heads. But I think you two, I have confidence that Brooke and Vincent are going to... I'm on it. Beat it. I'm on. Yeah. I'm actually excited for this. We I'm, I'm actually excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, when I, when I go to the Kickstarter, uh, I will... Uh, definitely put you on the spot then i'll i'll say uh I'll, I'll be naming my my testers and i'll i'll try to get you a sample i absolutely will sign me up i've got this i'm 100 percent in and i will yeah i'll still back it <laughs> yeah yeah no same same I, I think it's awesome and i love hearing you talk about your thought process behind everything you have such a mastery in a way of just like the human experience and it's encapsulated in all of your work which is fascinating because you look at it quickly and it's like oh that's just a thing but all the details are there yeah and they're thought about it. it's fascinating great i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah it's, i'm trying to think what you know you get new things revealed to you if you look for them mm -hmm. all the time you know if you even looking back on things often hindsight gives us more insights than than oh, yeah. initial yeah. ideas so i think that's oh, yeah. it's 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 funny when you ask certain questions there they might be a common question but often the answers change i'm going to drop some amazing information on everybody we have been talking for almost an hour and a half yeah. already uh, what? Is, this is the fastest hour and a half. Right? I was just about to say this has gone by so quickly. I could listen I, to you talk all day. <laughs> well, that's we too should, bad because I can talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> so it just means we're going to have to have you on again. I mean, maybe, we'll have, maybe when the uh, Kickstarter launches, maybe yeah, you, know, you want to come back and promote. Sure. I mean, we'd be happy to talk uh, to you I'd some more. Be happy to do that. Like only if you guys, if I have to send you the boppets, and I'll put in, and we'll do it live where you. Ooh. Know, 
maybe no practice. What I would say, I'll do it in Ooh. a sealed envelope. No practicing, and we'll get your first reaction to the game. Yes. You, you have found my kryptonite, because this is like, yes, a challenge. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, we will let's shift that. gears a little bit, and let's do some uh, Let's do some things of the week. Let's oh, yeah. see what yeah. uh, Thing of the let's week. See what we got. So Dan has a visual, so we might have to explain the visual a, a little vis- bit. But... A visual aid. The guest goes first. Yep. <laughs> yes, yep. you do. First, you have to know, guess what is this thing of the week. Okay. Well, I'm okay. I. It looks I know what it almost is. like a shoehorn, but I. It what looks is like it? A shoe stretcher. Yeah, I'm seeing shoe. Yeah. It, it, it is. It is. From 1926, to... it was okay. my grand, uh, my grandmother's, and it is a thing that goes into a shoe. I love yes. what I love is the textures. It's this pebbled metal finish and these cool little things to adjust the height. Um, it it's basically yeah, it goes into your shoe to keep its shape. It doesn't really yeah. stretch it. It's just what they you know to put into this. And I have two of them, and I just love the way this sort of move. In fact, this isn't part of it. This little cable here. I'm actually yeah. turn, turning it into a mechanism that will bop the bop it button automatically as Ooh. a joke so it's it's going, <laughs> it's going to, i'm going to turn of, the of course you to, are it, it, it's, it's going to come up and it's going to pop it's going to kind of do this right and so uh i haven't quite figured that out mechanism but isn't that a cool looking thing that's that, much cooler I, than the wooden ones that my parents had i, I wish cooler. i wish i could find a way to eloquently describe it to the listeners but I'm I'm at a loss. <laughs> it, 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 Dan, it, it, send us a picture of this, like a really yes. good picture, because we do a carousel on Instagram yeah. for the things of the week, sure. and I'd love for people to be able to have a good look at this. Yeah, it's yeah. very. I just love metal. Uh, like I often collect, sort of. I I like textures in monochrome things. So mm-hmm. a lot of things that are silver, uh, or you know, look kind of cool when you put them all like together in fact if you look one of the tiktoks i did recently was there's a a singer named mothica who's a very cool independent singer in la and she had seen one of my things i did uh i did this funny response video to machine gun kelly when he had a he had a bop it break on uh, christmas eve and there's a very popular video they did so i did a response video she saw the video and said and i made him i kind of clad in fact it's up there can you see that one? I, I would. There's. It's way up there. It says MGK on it. There's. It's clad in like everything metal that I could find, and it was trying to make an, unbreak, an unbreakable boppet. I can send you. A, that one too. So she saw it and said, "Can you make me a boppet for my music video?" And if you look, um, and she said, "You know, kind of a bespoke steampunk thing." So I took one of those old boppet extremes. Of course, she picked the one that's two hundred and forty-eight dollars on eBay. So I go, which did. one did you have in mind? And I go, oh, good taste. But uh, all right. Damn. So I sacrificed <laughs> one of my old ones that wasn't working and um, totally silvered it out and made she, in the video spikes grow out of her skin. The song is called Sensitive, and it's about how she's spiky on the outside and sensitive on the inside. So I made a boppet that grows <laughs> metal spikes out of it and um, and made it for this prop for her video. But if you look on my I don't know. If you look on her video, it's on there, but it's also in, in one of my TikToks where you'll see this. We called it the Bopthica after Mothica. 
And uh, <laughs> it was the best example of what, you know, when I say silver stuff that I love. So my thing of the week, immediately I knew when you asked that, it's like, it's got to be something kind of silver. And one of my collection of articulated silver textured objects, to be very specific. <laughs> these are very cool. Like, I remember my my mom and dad both had the same kind of things, but they were these horrible wooden things with a, a metal rod that had an L shape on it, and you just turn it, and it would, it would just take the shape of the shoe, and mm. that would be it, and then they'd put their shoes in the closet. So the only reason I knew what that was is because I saw the, foot, the tip of it by the toe, and I'm like, yeah. it's the same thing, only metal. That's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, they're just... They're just cool. I, I love things like this that weren't, they weren't designed probably to be anything but functional, but they're really, mm -hmm. you know, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain amount of interestingness to it that mm -hmm. stuff doesn't have anymore. And there's yeah. moving parts, which is also nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All it right, very you, what, strangely links to my thing of the week. What is Because I kind of thought my thing of the week was going to be a total curveball with this conversation, but this is perfect because this weekend I attended my very first estate Wait, sale. That was your first? <laughs> no, it wasn't my first. Oh, I lied. Okay. I've actually I've been to a I've been to one before, but I was a I was a kid. Um, I I can remember going to one up in Maine as a kid. But I was walking my dog this weekend and there was just a big estate sale sign pointing into a neighborhood that I know to have some really beautiful homes. So naturally I was like, well, I got to go. And I like woke my whole house up and was like, who wants to come to me to the estate sale? But, um, I just loved, even if you're not going to buy something, I actually just thought it was an amazing place to find inspiration to just walk through a home and see someone's collections and someone's like what someone found value in and like get to know a human just by like the books on their wall or like the objects that they collected, the objects that they displayed and whatnot. Um, so I might remember that if I'm ever in like a creative lull, I'll be like, I'll just go to an estate sale and then I'll know what to make next. Um, but I also got, well, I, this is like thing of the week number two, but like I found a miniature Whirlizer jukebox. Wow. Wait, what did you just call it? Whirl it did I, you say Whirlizer? Whirlizer? How do you say Whirlizer. it? Whirlizer. Whirlizer. Hey, thank you. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the youngest one here. It's fine. I'll, let's all just get on record. I like yeah, Whirlizer. I, Whirlizer is not bad. I know it's so funny. I like have never needed to say the word out loud, but I saw it and I knew exactly what it was. And I was like, oh, you're coming home with me. And, um, <laughs> So anyway, it's it's been great. It's like been making my week. But estate yeah, you you and Maple. <laughs> oh my gosh, my dog loves it because it has like <laughs> colors and the bubbles go and she really likes music. And it was occurring to me that like she only ever gets music played to her if I'm standing with her like with my phone. Usually I listen to music on my like, uh -huh. you know, in my ears. So the, the idea of a box that glows in bubbles that plays music constantly, she was like barking at it the whole day on you know, whenever we got it there's some really good footage there was really good footage in your stories of it playing and maple just keeps turning her head and looking at it like she she's like just so it. impressed by yeah. it yeah and she doesn't handle her this this is my dog maple she what doesn't handle emotion she's a mutt she looks like a golden retriever but she has like dark uh brindle fur kind of thing mm -hmm. she's like 16 she's an old oh. lady but she's so happy. It's funny, but she doesn't handle her emotions very well. So she, I like, she, she just listened, was enamored with the jukebox for a whole day. And then she just had an accident all over the floor <laughs> just because she was so excited. Was... 
Anyway. Well, there's the winner of that estate sale. <laughs> Maple the dog. So anyway, cool. Thing of the week, estate sales. You should check them out. Excellent. Wow. Excellent. Thing of the week is an estate sale. Yeah. yeah. Good thing of the week. Lots of silver textured things at them, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. So much like cool, like <laughs> yep. silver and glassware. And yeah. like, um, I think Michael found like old, like the lead painted, um, like lead painted soldiers, just like mm-hmm. cool, cool things mm-hmm. like that. Just cool mm-hmm. things to look at. I just do a crazy thing in the show notes, by the way, if you guys, um, <laughs> when you have a second, but it's somebody selling those shoe stretchers on eBay. I found on Etsy rather, believe it or not. Oh, the, not yep. the oh no one? way. Those, those exact ones. Yep. Whoa. I may, I need to get like 20 of these and put them on. The wall. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my thing of the week actually also ties into this episode. It was unintentional. It was just, um, you know, it just so happens that they release on Monday and I heard it on Monday. And guess what? That means it's my thing of the week because it fits. Um, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of the Clamp podcast. Um, I'm one of their F Clamp level supporters, <laughs> which means I am the creme de la creme. And if I'm not, I'm just going to say I am. Um, but. They, they dropped episode 99 today, and episode 99 is called Making Time for Play. And they talk about the importance of, you know, not always being focused on work and allowing your, your mind to just relax and play and have, have a little bit of fun. And it, it's funny because I was listening, I was finishing up the episode on the way home tonight, and I'm like, boy, this would be a perfect thing of the week because we have a toy maker, uh, a toy inventor on the podcast tonight and we're talking about play and it's like this is perfect but it's really is one of their better episodes i really enjoyed it i like the episodes where it's just grant morley and adam just talking i really do and this was a very good episode so my thing of the week is our friends who we've had all three of them on the show some of them more than once um so making time for play episode 99 of course i'll have the link for that in the show notes you know what else is fun brooke What's fun, Vincent? When I get the notification that we have a new supporter, and we have a lot of those notifications because we have a lot of supporters, and that list includes Leanne and Nick from Hemlock and Hyde, Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Emily Joyce, Ed. Let me say something about Emily Joyce real quick. Um, (laughs) Er Ert. I had to. I have to put the brakes on it because I owe this woman a lot of thanks. Um, everyone knows I love her. I love her dearly. I spent a weekend at her house um, for my birthday. Um, her family is awesome. She's awesome. I, I took a class she did on etching copper. And this weekend, I am working on something for a client, and it's just not working. And she stayed with me Sunday for almost an hour of back and forth trying to figure out why it wasn't working. We ended up figuring out that it's probably my printer. Um, I have a brother laser printer. Apparently, the toner in these doesn't work with the transfer paper I'm using to Long story. Anyway, we figured it out. She's actually, she took it on her printer. She printed the transfer and she's sending it to me to try it. But she helped me troubleshoot something. She did not have to do that. And I appreciated it so much. So thank you for supporting the show and for supporting me. I appreciate it. Um, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, who (laughs) now I know what he looks like because of May for Makers. Rory from RLL Woodworks and DIY. Chris from Full Steam Designs. Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Debbie Haddock, Jerry Hyduke, Joey from J.H. Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis, Jacob Anguiano of Maker Cuisine, Robert J. Keller, Scott from Dad It Yourself DIY, the one and only Grant Alexander, Tony Langer from Langerworks, Jacob from Other Dog Designs, Jake from Make with Jake, 
Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Justin Ofler of Bear Naked, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Adam Mackey of Maker Mackey and the Clamp Podcast, Kim and Garrett, Andrew Richard from Andrew Richard Makes, Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes, David from Southern Style DIY, Jeff the Weekend DIYer, Sean Walworth from the Proper Tools Podcast, Chris Raley of Route 9 Signs, Henry Davis of HT1 Metalworks, and of course, Austin Saunders of the high caliber craftsman we appreciate all the financial support we get from these guys but if you can't support the show financially that's fine too feel free to leave a review share the show and help us climb those ranks in itunes so we keep getting awesome guests like dan because i'm pretty sure that's how dan found us you are amazing <laughs> Our amazing reach and power. I mean, we're not, we're the bop it of podcasts, damn it. <laughs> You're the we'll bop cast. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we should just brand, rebrand this to the bop yeah, cast. Yeah, I was going to say next, next, next week we got to scrap all the branding, I guess. Yeah, just, I guess we're going to have to start over again. Well, we do have a lot of purple in our branding, which is good. So um, <laughs> we got the 90s bop it thing going, which is really good. Um, Dan, well, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and talking to you. It's It's been so much fun. We were so, it's just so cool to talk to someone who invented something that was so present it's in so our childhood. Vis- it's so visceral. It's like you yes. just say the word and people go, oh. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure to talk to, to you guys. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's you see me smiling the whole time because I just love, uh, you know, it's one thing to have invented something many years ago but it's this ongoing story and to hear the stories that people have about it and why it meant something to them and and just for me to try to you know as i've tried to keep it going and what's next as as i'm very passionate about uh to know that it's still alive and well in the minds of all the people that played it as kids and who are now adults it's really kind of rare so it really is confirming to talk to talk to you so thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure our pleasure and we will have um, all of Dan's links wherever you can find him in the show notes, of course, as we always do, because we really appreciate these guests that give us so much of their time. So thank you so much for joining us, Dan. And thank everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. And we, of course, will be back again next week, as always. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.